everybody. Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 247, and today is brought to you by Fresca. Yes, for those watching, I'm holding up a glorious Fresca can, and not just any Fresca. This is peach citrus Fresca. This is the greatest drink on earth. This is the nectar of Jesus given to us mere mortals. I love this stuff. I like Fresca. I love peach Fresca. Not a big fan of the cherry Fresca. And it's perfect on a day like today where finally the the summer has hit the Pacific Northwest. It's been sunny for days. And what that means is my lawn's beginning to die, but my belly is happy with Fresca alongside me for the podcast. So, That is great stuff. Now, I know we're not here for Fresca, but hey, if you're a Fresca fan, you feel me on this one. So that's kind of fantastic right there. Now, today's podcast, what to do, what should we talk about? Uh, And here's something I've been thinking about kind of in relationship to some of the topics we've been addressing. And again, you know, what is so true to this podcast is that my heart is to really like look at mission and evangelism much from the perspective of trying to repair damage to rebuild bridges, right? So I know other people kind of take the topic and they're looking straight from the perspective of how do you just reach the lost? And and I'm looking saying, I, I think as much as we want to care about trying to see you know, disbelieving people become believing people. Uh, I think maybe we also have to kind of mend some bridges that have been burned or blown up over the course of time where people are like, hey, listen, I'm not against Jesus so much, but I don't like how he's been represented by those who claim him. And I wouldn't know how to integrate with them if I wanted to follow him because they seem to be contrary to where my heart is or my life is as it relates to Jesus. Like, I think there's those challenges. In fact, if anything, I think what we kind of find ourselves in the middle of sometimes is a space where like the 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 standing reputation maybe of us as as Christians um some of what we do works just as much at deconversion uh, as it does ever at converting people or it works just as much as them going man that's unevangelism or anti-evangelism, what you're doing turns me off to Jesus as much as anything we might do that could perhaps turn people on to Jesus, right? And so that's always the perspective I'm probably bringing to the equation. So I know that there are other people, podcasts, pastors, preachers, whatever out there, they're just like, hey, here's how you reach lost people. Um, I think I'm looking more from the perspective of saying, I want to reach lost people, but I think there is there is baggage that is in there and there are things that they look at and they go, this is the impediment. And and it seems that when we look at all of the data, we see that it's pretty accurate that that's kind of what's going on right now, where we see more people leaving the faith. Uh, we see a pretty large swath of people that are very turned off, not just to Christianity, but uniquely they're turned off to evangelical Christianity. They, they feel like evangelicals want to control people's lives too much or control the culture too much or, or that they have an agenda to say, you know, America is meant to be a Christian evangelical nation and whatever we need to do to get it to that point, we'll do that. Uh, whatever it takes to do that, we're going to do that. And so all the more then people go, well, if that's what Christianity is and you're representing Jesus, even if they start to like Jesus, they don't want to get connected to that that kind of reputation or that particular tribal mindset. And so they kind of pull away. And so then for us, what it means is trying to clutter away or clear out the clutter of uh, what matters most and what is stuff that is actually more doing, uh, doing more harm than good. 
to the kingdom, to the gospel and all of that. And then how we then as individuals can live that stuff out, that we can live in such a way that really it's about being dead to ourselves, uh, dead to our own agendas and priorities in this world, dead to ourselves as American citizens, dead to ourselves as you know, upper class people or middle class people or whatever our category is and saying, hey, what matters most is I want to reflect Jesus really, really well. And in doing that, if there are critics in the process, I want to do a really great job of loving my critics well in the process, right? That's what the whole heart of this thing is all about. And so um, kind of where my brain was today then on this was in a couple of different places. One is I was thinking about the story of Jonah, and I'm going to return to that because I think the story of Jonah is a cautionary tale on how we as followers of Jesus in the climate that we live in uh, need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts against some of the criticism that may not be earned, and we need to guard our hearts against some of the criticism that's very much being earned, and we need to make sure that we don't become angry, resentful, spiteful, um, dismissive, um, bombastic, or whatever else when it comes to people that have these opinions, but rather we want to be peacemaking and gentle and sincere and all the things we see in James chapter 3. That's one part that I want to kind of focus on. Uh, but the other part is really slowing down and saying, hey, uh, you know, what are the things that we do have to own? And in the process of owning, hopefully we then address, and in addressing, maybe we can turn the tide on some things. And I thought about that in relationship to this book right here for those who are watching. Uh, it's called Unchristian, uh, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity and Why It Matters. This was by Dave Kinneman and Gabe Lyons. Now, what's interesting about this book right here is that it is now 15 years old. All right. So uh, I actually, when I first uh, moved to Duval, and it had just been published uh, within a few months before I moved here. Uh, and so we. this was the first book I think we as a staff went through uh, and then t- 2008. So it was published in 2007. Uh, We went through it in early 2008. And the whole thing was saying, hey, what are the things that the next generation are looking at with Christianity, in particular, more of the kind of Protestant evangelical Christianity, what are they looking at and what are the things that they're getting hung up on? And so it was just all of this research done by the Barna Group. They're working through what all those issues were. And then there was like these top tier issues that definitely they're like, here's the problem we have and and why we're either prone to drift away or stay away from uh, kind of Protestant evangelical Christianity, why they're tempted to uh, have critical views of the church. And so uh, there was a list of things that kind of came out in the research data. And among those things were things like, well, here's the problem. Uh, You know, Christians are too hypocritical. Uh, Christians are too judgmental. Christians are too political. Uh, Christians are too much about just get saved. They they care only about the soul of people. They don't care about the conditions of the soul once it's saved, or they don't care about the conditions of the world or the climate or you know culture or the poor. I mean, it was like kind of like we're just too myopic maybe in what we're trying to do with what the gospel does. And so there was a list of things in there. And I, I went back and looked at that book here uh, this week because I was like, man, 15 years later, 
uh, what should we glean from this? Because when the book was put together, it was kind of like saying, hey, we're going to put these flashing lights on your dashboard so that you realize like uh, the upcoming generation has these critiques. And from that, hopefully we can turn the tide on those critiques, that we can address these problems. And and from that, hopefully we, we put in kind of like our kind of forward vision, like, hey, they have a major issue with us looking hypocritical. We got to really live our faith. We got to make sure we take ownership of what the Bible calls us to do, because if we believe it's the word of God and we believe God is really watching us, then all the more we want to take this seriously because hypocrisy can be avoided. In most cases, it can be avoided if we're taking both the the view of God toward us and the scripture seriously, uh, we can avoid hypocrisy. Right, so that's possible. Uh, that we're too judgmental. Well, man, our brand is grace. So yeah, we should just take more ownership of what grace is all about, and and realize that apart from the grace of God moving on the heart of a person, nothing's going to change. And so we can just be those people that are more gracious in the world because of that. And then the too political thing, you know, that's coming off the heels of uh, the moral majority and the kind of the Christian right and everything else. And so you know, with that, it was like, hey, we we probably got too much into the weeds of caring more about a political ideology and viewpoint for the for the country as opposed to a distinctly kingdom viewpoint because the kingdom just defies all political parties by a long mile you cannot find a whole lot of kingdom on the conservative side you cannot find a whole lot of kingdom on the liberal side what you can find is patches in both and problems in both but the kingdom just stands apart from the nations which is why when Jesus comes again and establishes this kingdom, all the nations uh, evaporate and what you have is the kingdom because all the nations are going to be flawed and all the political systems of the nations are going to be flawed and all the political parties of the systems are going to be flawed and Jesus is the only one that can set it up in the right way, right? So all of that was kind of in there and from that they were saying, hey, Christians, just be aware, at some point this is going to tip if we continue down this road of being too judgmental, too hypocritical, too political, it's, it, you know, being just too focused on soul saving and not all the other implications of what maybe the, the Bible calls you to. And and if you go too far, then it's going to start to turn into anti-evangelism more than evangelism. So I fast forward then 15 years later, I'm looking at this book and going, wow, more than ever, that does seem to be the critique that is coming our direction. In other words, after 15 years, it's not like we've gotten better at the issue of hypocrisy, but perhaps we've we've been more hypocritical, or at least the perception is greater hypocrisy. Um, so an example of this uh, would probably be just the countless number of scandals that we've had with Christian leaders in the last few years, right? Or um, some of the things that, that Christians have turned a blind eye to where, you know, again, maybe a decade ago, we would have said, no, this is just wrong in all climates. This is morally not healthy for Christians to be associated with. We kind of said, no, we're going to blow it to the side because we have goals to achieve and we have political means we want to get accomplished. And so we we kind of blew off some of our values to get those things done. And so the too political and too hypocritical or hypocritical in general, uh, too judgmental, all of that seems to have almost felt like a doubling down and from that, our critics, these areas they look at and they go more than ever, that's kind of the problem. And as a Christian pastor, that that grieves my heart because I go, we should 
care about those areas more than our critics would care about those areas. Because our heart is to do what we do unto Jesus, to please God, to have a life of worship. Uh, and then we realize that we're his ambassadors on the planet. We'll be held accountable for how well we are his ba- ambassadors on the planet. And if we did a very poor job of that, we're going to have to stand before him and give the explanation of why we put ourselves before himself, why we put our wants before his wants, and why we didn't take seriously the... the um, critiques of people that were probably fair critiques, you know, why we continued to kind of reinforce leaders and pastors and systems and styles of leadership and everything else that, that showed the flaws that we clearly don't want to embody because we care about what Jesus cares about and we love what he wants to do with the world. And we want to live for that more than we live for anything else. And so that's where I, as I looked at this and I thought about 15 years later, I thought, man, what's it going to look like in the next 15 years? Because we do know we're venting people from churches. We do know that um, increasingly the the world looks at Christians and they don't go, you know, you're offensive because you're so much like Jesus. They go, you're offensive in many ways, they feel because they feel like we're not as much like Jesus. Now, I want to be clear here. That does not mean that their vision of Jesus is well-rounded. It doesn't mean that their vision of Jesus is, you know, looking at the full scope of everything Jesus said and did. In fact, in some ways, I think, it can be very myopic how disbelieving people see Christians as far as what Jesus was representing. And at the same time, I also go, I'm not sure we're always doing the best job of incarnating Jesus as seen in the gospels in our own lives, especially in the tough places, right? Especially when resisted, when opposed, when disliked, when maligned or slandered, or when called out for our bad behaviors, uh, you know, like, like, all of that, uh, we are to have a certain kind of response. And the response is what I see embodied so well in the cross of Christ itself, where there's Jesus, uh, the crowds are jeering, the soldiers are mocking, even the guy crucified next to him is like just like scowling and saying terrible things. And the leaders that are religious are like super thrilled that Jesus is dying. And then of all of them, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And and I think that captures the tone. This is why I love when Peter points to the cross and is like, that's your example, followers of Jesus, uh, to live out when it comes to those who are against you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, right? Forgive them that they are against us. Forgive them that they might want to shut us down. Forgive them that they have terrible things to say about us. Forgive them that they stand against our worldview. Forgive them they don't know what they're doing. What this requires is then safeguarding our hearts, protecting our hearts from becoming hard against our mission field, right? Protecting our hearts from becoming angry, resentful, or or wanting to retaliate in some ways, or to go, they're just stupid, whatever. They can go to hell for all I care. It doesn't matter to me, right? Like there can be a hardness that we all struggle with. And that reminds me of Jonah, right? So we all know the story of Jonah. The great fish gets swallowed, spit on land, goes to Nineveh, preaches repentance, and they all repent, and he's he's pissed, right? He's mad. He's mad that these people repent and turn to God, right? And and when you go back and you unpack the story, it's because they're the bad guys. He they, Like, they're the modern equivalent of his liberals 
to his conservative, right? They're the, they're the ones that are, they don't represent God. They don't have good morals. They don't have a right worldview or whatever else. And then God's like, well, right, but I care about them and I want you to care about them and I want you to go to them and I want you to reach out to them. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. Finally, God literally just force feeds him or force feeds him to a great fish and then spits him out. And Jonah goes and does it. But then Jonah is resentful of the fruit of that, right? Now, I'm sure many of us go, hey, I wouldn't be resentful if my whole community uh, started to follow Jesus. Like, I don't think we'd be resentful. I think that's true. But the heart that Jonah had going into it was resentful. And I I do want to caution all of us, protect all of us to not have a resentful, uh, snarky, or a slanderous heart or attitude toward disbelieving people, toward deconstructed people, toward outright like despising people, our calling is to love all of those categories. Our calling is to serve all of those categories. Our calling is to be like Jesus to all of those categories. And and that's where I, I always have this, this thing of cautioning, cautioning us, particularly on the things from that book where it's like, hey, if, if we're too political, then what usually happens when we become too political is we see the other side of our politic as as the enemy, as the bad guy. We might look at them and say, they're stupid. They're bleeding heart. They have no common sense. They're unpatriotic. So we, we, we dub them with labels that are instantly less than interested in their well-being, right? It, 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 and certainly less than interested in really wanting to love them in the space that they're at, right? Uh, we don't want to do that, right? And so, uh, you know, that's that's kind of where we want to be aware. Like, hey, man, I don't want my heart to slide into that place, you know? Or when they say, you Christians are hypocritical. You know, we don't want our hearts to be like, you know what? So are you. Screw you. You, you know, you're, 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 you're just as bad as anybody. How dare you want to call out us when you do the same problem? I go, it's true, actually. Everybody's hypocritical. I totally agree. The difference between, I think, the believer and the disbeliever is the disbeliever doesn't actually believe the Bible and the disbeliever doesn't believe there's a God watching their life. So they don't feel like, oh, there's this extra motivation to not be hypocritical because I don't believe in a higher power that's going to hold me accountable for my actions one day. And I don't hold to a book that holds me accountable for my actions. But you Christians, you claim both that God is real, that God is watching, that the book is true and the book is real. And if you don't do it, well, that's weird because you are already telling us you adhere to a higher power and a higher calling with with more substantial ramifications if you're not doing it. So when we don't do it and we don't seem to live in a way that seems any more transformed than anybody else, then that's where they go, well, that's problematic. Like how much do you really believe in God or believe in the Bible if you're not living it out? That's been one of the most grievous things for me as I've watched these multiple Christian leaders blow out because I go, this just sends the message. We don't believe God is real and we don't believe the Bible's true because we believe God is real and the Bible's true. We wouldn't do these things, right? We might have some struggles. We might have some faults, but if we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, right? If we really honestly, authentically believe God is watching and is real and is true and is active in our lives, then all the more we would want to be going to war with these very scandalous things. Like I get that we're all going to be human. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to do some dumb stuff. But the level of of just improprieties that have been there can be staggering for a group of people or for leaders that then claim uh, 
that God is real. The Bible's true. We should do it or else, you know, kind of thing. And so, you know, this is where, again, we want to be aware of those things. So when we're maybe called things, we go, okay, some have been that it's tainted all of our reputation. It kind of stinks that it's guilt by association, but I want to absorb that. And then even say like, yeah, that's wrong. I agree. Many, many Christians have been hypocritical and and we don't want to be that because yes, we really do believe God is true and he's watching and that matters to our lives. And we want to model that, right? And so this is where, again, we don't want to be too political. We don't want to defend hypocrisy, but own it and say, it's really, really true, you know? And, and then from that, to live in an authentic way. And part of that then is that idea of not being judgmental, right? Paul is pretty clear with us that when it comes to Christians inside the Christian community, there is space to be discerning. There is space to come alongside one another. There is space to to say, hey, I see this going on in your life and I care about you. And I know this can be hurtful, harmful, or destructive. And and I don't want to see you go down that road. I mean, that's what I love about even like the end of James chapter five. It's like, Hey, if you see somebody that's caught in something, man, you, you want to come to them and you want to see them rescued from that. You see the same thing in Galatians chapter six, right? It's like, Hey, we want to bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. So within the context of the Christian community, there is place to be judicious, but in a loving, an understanding way. So not judgmental or having judgmentalism, but rather having a sense of caring uh, judgment, which is why Jesus likened this to pulling splinters out of people's eyes as opposed to hitting them over the head with a two by four, right? Like that's the attitude. To the disbelieving world, they should not hear hints of judgment from us because why would we judge the disbelieving world? Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. That's not our place. God does the heavy lifting on that. Our job is to show love, grace, compassion, mercy, generosity, uh, you know, to, to be the servants of those who need to see Jesus, right? Because that's what we get to do. That's how we get to live, right? And that, that's, that's an awesome opportunity and it's a daunting task all at the same time because there's nothing easy about being a servant, especially when you're treated like one. And I think that's part of the challenge sometimes is the disbelieving world looks at us and they may walk all over the top of us. And Jesus is like, right, just like they did me. And that's what I've called you to do. Let them walk. Because man, so often when they see us continue to model a Christ-like disposition, when we're in that position, that is powerful gospel presentation because it shows we really do believe in God. We really do believe in the Bible. And we really do think that the kingdom way gets things done. Too often, we don't really believe the kingdom way gets things done. We believe that ingenuity and you know rules and laws and ethics and all this stuff is what's going to get things done. And yet I'm more convinced than ever that no, only the Sermon on the Mount gets things done. Only the fruit of the Spirit gets things done. Only uh, the definition of love gets things done. Uh, that That's the only thing that's going to get real things done. Everything else is just, you know, it's a big shell game, moving stuff around, but it's not really getting things done, right? Because what we want to get done is the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I, I love that because Jesus has us praying that and it's bed, embedded in the center of the Sermon on the Mount. Like he's like trying to like both ends kind of work to the middle of that prayer. Like you do this and you pray unto that and that's what will change the world. But that's what we need to own. And I think the best way to own it is what I've been saying, that we don't want to get sucked into our hearts getting hard to our disbelieving world, our hearts getting angry or frustrated or defensive when we're called out for things that are true of us or called out for things that are not true of us. We don't want to retaliate with a like attitude at all, right? 
Because again, how we handle our criticisms, how we handle these critiques is an opportunity to show the love and generosity of Christ, right? In other words, when Jesus says, turn the other cheek or go the extra mile, I, I think this is kind of part of the space in which we do that, right? So, so if somebody is um, negative about what we as Christians are about, or they're negative about us conservative evangelical types, um, we go, that's okay. I'm going to love them anyway. That's okay. I'm going to say, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Or even, Father, forgive them and forgive us because maybe there's been some of us that have crossed paths with them and we've really hurt them. And that's, that's a pretty serious offense for us. In fact, it's really interesting as I've done the podcast over the years um, because I have, I live in this weird duality where it's people that have been hurt by Christianity that I hear a lot from as far as thank you. I wish more Christians were like this uh, because I've been really wounded by my church or I was wounded by my Christian family or I was wounded by whatever. So so kind of the disbelieving world, like thank you that you're you're wanting to have this kind of voice and, and it makes me want to come back to church, but I'm just still afraid of what would happen to me if I did because I'm not sure this is where a lot of Christians are really at what you're saying on the podcast. On the flip, I have people that listen to the podcast get really frustrated at me more with inside the church because they're like, you're always beating up on us and everything else. And why are you always saying we did something wrong? And I'm like, I, I want to be clear. I, I'm not saying we all did something wrong. And I, 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 I sometimes worry that it does start to feel like Matt's just always beating up on us as guilty by association. But I just want us to be kind of personally aware that many have been wounded by our clan and in that those wounds are real and they're deep and the only people that can maybe heal those wounds are those of us of the same clan who are coming in and saying, you know what, I am sorry that happened to you. That was not right. And even if you were totally against us, we should have treated you better than we treated you because Jesus calls us to love our persecutors, to love our enemies, to pray for, do good, you know, like to, to anybody that's against us. And we did not do that well and, and forgive us. I mean, I think about that with Nehemiah. I mean, like Nehemiah is asking God to, to forgive him and the nation for offenses that they all did far before he was ever born, you know? And, and so it's like, it's okay to do that. And more than that, I think it's imperative that we do that where our own types have been in the wrong. It's okay, even if we didn't do that, to say, we're so sorry that happened to you, right? And, and we want to show you something different. Because it was interesting. I've had a couple of conversations in the last few weeks with people where they're like, um, I, I would love to come back I, I, like, I would love to come back to church. I would love to get re-engaged with a Christian community, but it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel safe. Like if I showed up into it, um, it it's going to go south really quick for me because it won't quite be my home, you know? Uh, and, and I get that. You know, I really get that. I've, I've even tried to direct some of those people into places outside of my tribe because I go like, hey, I know where you're coming from. I think this type of church over here may be better for you. It might be a safer environment for you. It may be less loaded with with things. And it might be a great way for you to kind of re-engage and re, um, 
recommit your life to Christ. You know, like having to think that way because again, you, you the the climate is still a little murky and kind of the attitudes within our climate is a little murky. And so all the more this is where it comes down to us as ambassadors trying to figure out the best way to truly represent the upside down and backwards nature of Jesus and his kingdom for the world that changes things because it's the only thing that will change things. So, we must guard our hearts. We must realize after 15 years of this book being written that those critiques probably have enlightened, they've deepened, and therefore we want to make sure that the next 15 years doesn't go more down that path and we wear the tread deeper into the road, right? We want to do things as different as we can because the gospel matters that much, Jesus matters that much, the kingdom matters that much, and the mission field matters that much. And I really do believe if we can just as our own individuals keep using the lens, it's like, how would Jesus have me deal with this from an eternal perspective, right? From an eternal perspective, what really matters and doesn't matter and how I can best represent him in a peacemaking, love-filled, grace-based way. The more we do that, I think the more we will be effective everyday missionaries.